It's 836, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Two days from now, State Fair. If you're out at State Fair, we will be broadcasting live. Actually, I I, I think this is going to be, at least in recent times, um, probably as much live coverage from the State Fair as we've we've had, certainly in years and years, um, where our coverage starts every weekday. I'll be out there at 8.30 in the morning. Scafidi and Bill Statt will be there. John McCure will be there. Sports Central will be there. News broadcast from the fair. If you are coming out, be sure to stop off and say hello. And as we do every year, our, kind of our, our lead into the state fair, Cream Puff Apalooza, tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Scafidi and Bill Statt will be outside the, the parking lot to the north of the Pettit Center that runs parallel to the freeway there. And uh, starting at 6 a.m., the first 300 cars, it's 300 this year, get a six-pack of cream puffs. And you can take them to work, you can take them home, you can eat them in the parking lot. Um, but the first 300 cars, and I, I did that for a number of years and just absolutely loved it. I've told the story. You arrive at 5.40 in the morning or 5.30 in the morning, and there's already cars all through the parking lot, and they're lined up down on 84th Street. So uh, tomorrow first 300 cars get a six pack of cream puffs get in line early i guarantee you they go fast but it's kind of our way of starting off uh state fair coverage all right we start off today's program like we start off every program three big things things i think that you need to know about to talk about at the water cooler or at the gym or at lunch or wherever all right story number one i am not surprised that this happened I am surprised that it happened as quickly as it did. Eleven days ago, President Trump, over the objections of his chief of staff, over the objections of his press spokesman, and over the objections of a lot of other people, decides to reach out and appoint a New York financier who... Well, looks like he came from the casting call from The Sopranos. If you think about the the classic example of what you would expect sort of a New York mobster to look like, and I understand I'm stereotyping, and for all the New York mobsters out there who are offended, I apologize, but but he looked like he was casting call from The Sopranos, this Anthony Scaramucci. Um, He appoints, this is the president, appoints him to be um, his communications director, and then further says, you're going to report directly to me. So essentially, he's going to be unfettered with regard to the organizational structure in the White House. Um, Scaramucci then apparently, and I got to think he did this with the blessing of the president, Scaramucci goes on this obscenity-laced tirade in a phone call to a reporter from the New York magazine, New Yorker magazine. And we talked about this. He was saying things that a lot of times when people use phrases that are profane or vulgar, and I can't say them on the radio, I'm at least able to, I don't know, shape them and describe them in a fashion so you understand what they said without me saying it. He was saying stuff. I couldn't, I honest to goodness, I tried to figure out how can I say what he said? How can I convey it? And I gave up because some of the stuff was just so vile and so vulgar. And this is coming gratuitously from the White House communications director. Um, and, and look, and I, and I understand that, that being foul-mouthed in the White House is nothing unusual. Uh, Barack Obama used to joke that Rahm Emanuel, the godfather, now the, the sort of semi-thug mayor of Chicago, um, he, was, he was Obama's chief of staff, and Obama used to always joke that, um, how did the joke go? He said that Rahm Emanuel, he, he, he could never 
call up his mother and wish her a happy Mother's Day because there's only one word that he is capable of putting after the word mother. And, and so he could never say Mother's Day. That, that was the, so there, there, there's just no question that, you know, you, you have vile and vulgar people that have been in those jobs, people who talk dirty. But you don't necessarily – you're there for two days, you know, call up the New Yorker magazine and then go off on this vile sort of tirade. So in any event, you know, Scaramucci – in as the communications director, he said, "I'm going to get Priebus fired, former you know head of former chief of staff." And Priebus did get fired a couple of days ago. The new guy comes in, General Kelly, John Kelly, and his first act as chief of staff apparently is to fire Scaramucci or convince the president to fire Scaramucci. Essentially, I, I think recognizing that this this man does not have the right temperament for this particular job. And so Scaramucci is sort of unceremoniously dumped. I mean, the statement is, well, I thought we would clear the decks, you know, I, so that they can bring in their own people. But, I mean, he's only been in the job for 11 days. And so he, he, he's on his way out. They send him packing, holding his box of future endeavors. President Trump says, oh, this is the start of this new era. Uh, you know, we're going to have discipline. We're going to have all these great things. John Kelly is going to be the greatest chief of staff ever. All right, big story number one. Scaramucci is gone. Reince Priebus is gone. Sean Spicer is gone. Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, who knows how long he's going to be there. Rex Tillerson, secretary of state, taking some time away from the job. He's been getting criticism. 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is President Trump going to be able to clean up his act? Will making John Kelly, former general, the chief of staff, is that going to be what the White House needs to, I don't know, impose discipline, if the White House needs to impose discipline? Getting rid of guys like Scaramucci, is it a good thing? Is this a turning point? 414-799-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have a thought, but I'm curious as to what you're thinking. Is the White House, again, to the extent you believe it needs to clean up its act, and it needs to have be more disciplined and you need to have control. Is is this the new day? Is the new guy going to rein this in? Will we see a different President Trump moving forward? What do you think? 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. We discuss next. This is big thing number one. It's 842. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 845, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Apparently, the, the way the reports are going is initially, President Trump was thrilled that Scaramucci took it upon himself to call the New Yorker and go on this obscenity-laced tirade against Reince Priebus and some of the other people in the White House. Uh, that's, that's, that's telling them. Um, at, apparently, what happened after that is... Some of his family members, and I'm not sure that there's anybody that the president listens to, but to the extent he does, it's his son-in-law and it's his daughter. Um, they were at least initially supportive of Scaramucci because they, they wanted they wanted Priebus out, and they saw that this was a way to kind of do that, you know, to kind of stick the knife in, but they're not the ones that have to do it. You let this guy come in and, and do that, essentially. Over the weekend, though, as they started thinking about, I don't know, the way Scaramucci behaved, the, the thought, I think the... The phrase that kept running around, my guess, was loose cannon. And the more 
President Trump apparently thought about it, and the people close to him thought about it. They sort of recognized that the Scaramucci character was that, that, that proverbial loaded loose cannon rolling around the deck. And sometimes it's going to explode and shoot off the cannonball in the correct direction. But sometimes it's going to shoot off the cannonball when the, um, the barrel is pointing down at the deck. So ultimately, I think the family members, you know, went to the president and said, ah, this guy's probably not in the right position. And we know you like him and we know you can relate to him, but it's probably time for him to go. And then, of course, you brought in the new chief of staff, John Kelly, who views his job as one of imposing discipline on a, a White House staff that is always, in the best case scenario, like herding cats. Um, in the Trump administration, it's just... <laughs> Okay, herding cats multiplied. And I think John Kelly, who perhaps has a lot more class than some of the other people that are around, recognized that this just isn't what you do. So Scaramucci's days were numbered. Here's the overriding question, though. Where do we go from here? I don't think, regardless of whether you support the president or not, whether or not you agree with the president's policies or not, I don't think you can disagree with the notion that the first six, seven months of this administration, at least the impression that has been conveyed has been that you have a White House in chaos. You have, as far as you have a lack of focus on policy, um, you have a president who is kind of distract, more than kind of distracted and who bounces from thing to thing, says stuff that candidly does not help his cause. So, I mean, and and you've had aides that have been unable to rein him in. So clearly, I, I think bringing in this new chief of staff, if the idea is that he is going to impose discipline, that's that's great. The problem is this. While on the one hand, you want to allow Trump to be Trump, that, that's the phrase, because that that's what got him elected. And he's 70-some years old, and you're not going to change him. Okay, that's the one hand you, you want to let that go. The flip side is, no, unless you can figure out a way to rein in the excesses of the president, you are not at least in the minds of the majority of the public. And the president's approval ratings are now down below thirty, uh, below 40% in the Rasmussen poll. And that's I, I don't know that that's ever happened before. Um, so now you, you have – you know, the tumbling poll numbers, and I know there's some people that don't believe the polls. And it's not, in my opinion, it's not really about policy. What it is, it is about style. And you need the chief of staff, you need somebody to change the style, and you need the president to be willing to have his style changed. I would not argue that the president should give up Twitter. He's not going to give up Twitter. I would argue that what he says on Twitter should be disciplined. If you want to go around or over or under the mainstream media to get your message out. Social media is a great opportunity to do that, and and it exists, and it's a way to diffuse what is the obvious liberal bias in the mainstream media, and I think that's great. The problem is when you, I don't know, wake up at 4.30 in the morning and see something on cable news and get a wild hair up a certain part of your anatomy and then grab your phone and start sending things out. I mean, I, I, I felt bad for Reince Priebus. You know, the word was, well, he was a micromanager. He was running from meeting to meeting trying to control things. Well, of course he was. I mean, my goodness, 
you know, when you have the president who is not exactly showing discipline, um, yeah, you got to, and you're the chief of staff, you got to control what's going on. And so I, I'm sure, I'm sure he would do that. Can you imagine a more thankless job than working in the administration the first few months? It's a Sunday morning. You think you're going to have breakfast, go to church, play golf, whatever, spend some time with your family, and you wake up, it's 5.30 in the morning, and you're getting calls from the media because the president has grabbed his phone and is tweeting out things that he was being, uh, for whatever reason, you know, claiming he was um, wiretapped by his predecessor. And there goes your Sunday, and there goes your message on health care for a couple days. So, I mean, I think... John Kelly coming in as chief of staff is a positive thing. I think dumping the mooch is a positive thing. I think trying to impose order is a positive thing. The question is going to be, will the president allow him to do that? And that is the open issue moving forward. If I were a betting guy, my bet would be that this honeymoon period right now, the president yesterday saying that he thinks John Kelly is going to be one of the greatest chiefs of staff ever, Um, My guess is the honeymoon is probably going to wear thin maybe in the next four or five or six months, but I hope not because, again, I think the president's biggest problems are with style, not with substance. This is a way to deal with that. All right, big story number two is coming up. Mitch McConnell says we're walking away from health care. Is that the right way to deal with things? We discuss next. It's 851. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 854, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. How is it that the Foxconn deal potentially delays the completion of the Zoo Interchange Project? And what must lawmakers do to avoid that from happening? Scafidi and Billstadt have the answers. They've got the answers. Tune in 1235 this afternoon right here on WTMJ. Big story number two. They've dug themselves a hole. They are climbing out and declaring victory. Um, President Trump, or for the last, oh, I don't know how long, we have been talking about Republican efforts to repeal and re- or repeal and replace Obamacare, despite the fact that Republicans have had seven years to try to figure out what they would do differently from Obamacare. And if I were king, I have a lot of different ideas. But all right, I'm I don't get a vote in this. Uh, Despite the fact that they have had seven years, they are unable to come up with any sort of agreement at all. Um, The House of Representatives passed a repeal and replace bill that apparently was determined to be dead on arrival when it got to the U.S. Senate. In the U.S. Senate, there's there's 52 Republican senators. So you, you can't lose more than two senators and still get something done. And of course, last week when they had their repeal and replace option, their so-called skinny repeal, uh, just to keep the process moving, they lost three senators with John McCain casting the deciding vote and sort of figuratively speaking, raising his hand and extending a certain finger towards the the White House. That was the message that uh, John McCain kind of sent. And I understand why why he did this. um, But so now health care reform right at the moment is dead. The president continues to push the Senate to try to do something. Yesterday, a number of Republican senators, some of the more senior senators around, Orrin Hatch and John, John Thune, Roy Blunt, all came out and said, health care is dead for the moment. We're, we're just, unless somebody can show us a way to get an agreement, we're, there's just nothing for us to do right now, and we're going to move on. 
all right, people want Obamacare. We can't find a replacement idea for it. Fine, we're going to let Obamacare continue, and we're going to move on to something that everybody says they think is much more likely to get done, which is tax reform. Uh, The president isn't happy with that. I will tell you this, and this is big story number two, I think this is precisely the right move. Not necessarily good policy, but it's the right move given political reality. Politics is always the art of the possible, what you can get done. And the bottom line right now is that you have the Democrats who are united in maintaining the status quo, which is Obamacare, despite the fact that most of them know that Obamacare is failing. I don't care what the headlines are in the local newspapers. The reality is that Obamacare right now, you have insurers who are pulling out of the exchanges because not enough healthy people are buying insurance through the Obamacare exchanges to make up for the claims being filed by the sick people. That's just the reality. So insurance companies are losing money hand over fist on these exchanges. They are pulling out. Some states next year are going to have no options in many, many counties. Many others, you just have one. Um, and that means very little choices to the doctors you can choose, very little choices to the healthcare networks you can be in. It's a huge problem, and it is going to get nothing but worse. It is unfortunate that it could not be solved, but this is one I've just kind of come to the conclusion, and I feel bad for the people who are stuck in these exchanges, that it is going to have to get worse before it gets better. But that is just the ultimate reality here. Apparently, there's no agreement. Some people think we need to go farther. Some people think we don't need to go as far. And the Democrats pretty much say, okay, well, we don't want any changes at all. We're not going to cooperate in any sort of repeal or replace. I see no choice other than to let things continue to get worse. They will get worse. And at some point in time, I think even the Democrats are going to recognize that major things need to be done. Maybe you're going to be able to get a consensus. But I completely agree with leadership of the Senate right now. Politically, why bother going back? Why continue to have this debate when you do not have an agreement on what needs to be done? And any changes you try to make are going to be ripped and ridiculed in the mainstream media. All right. So people want Obamacare. Let them have Obamacare. And let's see where we are a year and a half from now. And I understand that that means some people are going to take the brunt of it and they're going to have problems. But nevertheless, sometimes things have to get worse before they can get better. All right, coming up next, big thing number three, mark the tape. The Milwaukee Common Council gets it right. Stick around. It's 8.59. It's 9.08, Jeff Wagner. So, Mike, you happy the Brewers didn't make any major moves at the trading deadline? Yeah, I'm pretty pretty satisfied with that. You know, I think a lot of guys are having a really good season. I don't know if the team is all that good, if that makes any sense. No, no, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I agree completely, by the way. I mean, I, I, think, I think they are overachieving. I think it's a fun season. I think it's a fun team. And I think you look at this team and you say, hey, a year or two down the line, if they continue to progress, it, it's going to be a team that could compete not just for the Central Division Championship, but for the World Series. Yeah. I mean, um, and but that's not I don't think that's this year. I mean, you just look at the roster between them and the Cubs and they're just not as good right now. And yeah. that I'm a, I'm a fan. I love it. I think they're playing great ball. I would have hated to see them trade, you know, some of their prospects or their up and coming players to get somebody who's going to help them for a few months when 
you know, and I, they might still make the playoffs. Who knows? That would be great. But I do think they're a year or two away from, are they the Astros? Are they the Dodgers? Are they the Cubs? They're not there right now, but they're moving in the right way. Yeah, you're right. It's always dangerous when you get a little bit overzealous when you're overachieving. So, yeah, I, I think many Brewers fans have resigned themselves to ride this rebuild out, and I think it's the right move to stay a little cautious. I do. Now, my new producer, BD, do you agree with that, too? You're a ball. You, you, you're now. I, I have to. I've been told I have to enunciate better because I'm at dinner last night. True story. And somebody comes up, um, recognizes me, and comes up and says, "I listen to the program every day." And I said, "Thank you. It's very kind of you. I like it a lot." I said, "So you, you've got a new producer, yeah?" And I said, what, "What's his name? VD?" <laughs> and I said, "No, it's." <laughs> I said, "No, it, no, it's not VD. It's 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 BD. As it stands for Big Dog." Yeah. And I said, "So I will I will make I will endeavor to enunciate better." Right, the the new producer on the show today and moving forward is 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 the big dog, B B D, not V D. So I, just don't don't get those two things confused. But it it, it I will tell you the conversation amused me. I've been chuckling about it for. <laughs> I said no, okay, I'll, I'll work on this. I will enunciate better. No, it's it's B D. All right, big story number three. Mark the tape on this one because I don't say it very often. The Milwaukee Common Council which oftentimes is the gang that couldn't shoot straight. Now, the Milwaukee Common Council, when you compare them to the Clown Car Act that is the Milwaukee County Board, the Milwaukee Common Council comes off looking pretty good in a lot of things. But at the same time, the Milwaukee Common Council is also the the group that signed off on allowing Tom Barrett to spend $100-plus million on a 2.1-mile streetcar line that 10 years from now will be probably torn up and, and gone. But the Milwaukee Common Council yesterday, while they are willing to commit millions to the streetcar, at least made a stand on this rapid bus transit line, something that I have been admittedly semi-obsessed over over the course of the last couple years, ever since Chris Abley and some people in the county came up with this idea. The rapid, and I say rapid, and I'm putting air quotes here, The rapid bus transit line, here is the plan. It would run from downtown out to to Freighter, out to the medical college, right? What they would do is they would tear, to put this in, you would take away lanes of traffic on Wisconsin Avenue and then on Blue Mound Avenue, the, the main east-west thoroughfare currently to get from downtown Milwaukee out to, again, the, the medical college, right? So they would take away lanes of traffic, taking them away from cars, and they would create dedicated bus lanes. And the bus drivers would also have the ability to monkey with the red lights so they could, they could if they're coming up on one, they could turn the, they could make the lights stay green longer or, or whatever. But the operative thing is to put in the, this heist, this rapid bus transit lane system, the system, you take away lanes from cars on what is, again, a very, very busy section of, of urban streets. On top of that, if you think about Wisconsin Avenue going in the, in the proposed bus line, rapid bus line, he says in quotation marks, would run out Wisconsin Avenue to about Hawley, and then it would jog south and go out Blue Mound Road. All right. Now, think of all the homes. Think of all the businesses 
along that stretch, particularly west of Hawley Road, all these businesses. And what the business owners were saying is, apart from how miserable this is going to be for commuters, people aren't going to be able to get into our businesses if they have to drive you, you've, instead of like being in a right lane of traffic so you can pull in, make a right-hand turn, and go into a business, you have to cross over a bus rapid transit lane. They were also talking about how this would make it impossible for people to get out of their businesses um, and employees, whether it's customers or whatever. It, it just – it would be a disaster. Now, now, why would you do this rapid bus transit line? Well, even in the best-case scenario, they say maybe it would save seven or eight minutes. Okay, so we are going to disrupt businesses, inconvenience people, and bog things down to save seven or eight minutes. I mean, really? Now, some of the charlatans who have come up with this bus rapid bus transit idea are saying, well, if we put this in, it is going to increase bus ridership on this line by thousands a day. Anybody who believes that is smoking something. I mean, really, the only the only way it would increase ridership to that degree is if the only you essentially forced people out of cars. And maybe that's the ultimate plan. You know, we're going to make it so difficult and so congested for people to drive that by taking away lanes that they have no choice but to bus. But at the same time, that, that's just not the way people are going to use this, at least not normal people. If you are going Let's say you have an appointment at, at Freighter, for example. you got to go to the hospital to have your knee x-rayed or something like that, and you live in the North Shore. You mean to tell me that you are going to drive from Fox Point to downtown Milwaukee, find some spot somewhere to park on the street, get out of your car, and then wait to take the bus to get you out to the medical complex, you know, all to save seven minutes, that's just nuts. It's not the way the real world works, but it's one of these kind of cockamamie schemes that the county board and the county executive come up with. Now, I don't think this is ever going to happen because it is contingent on on getting something like 40-some million dollars in federal funds. And under this administration... I don't think that that is going to happen, and it certainly shouldn't. But but even if you get the federal money, it's still going to be an outlay of the county taxpayers to help support this type of thing because it's not going to be self-supporting. Anyways, it's a really, really bad idea. I have been arguing about this for the longest time. Wauwatosa, which apparently wants to be Shorewood West, and the mayor of Wauwatosa sold out her constituents by signing up for this. Well, in comes the Milwaukee Common Council. And the Milwaukee, Milwaukee Common Council, to their credit, has always been, oh, some, I would say agnostic about this plan to begin with. This is the brainchild of Abley, and it's the brainchild of, of the county board. And they, they've always been, like I say, sort of agnostic on this. Well, yesterday, um, they ended up passing a, a resolution which has the potential, at least, to put the brakes on this. Here's what they have have decided. They said, okay, last year we we passed a resolution allowing us to continue to work with the county to try to see if this was feasible, if it made any sense. Um, we have now looked at it, and we have determined that the use of exclusive lanes, that is dedicated lanes for the not-so-rapid bus line, is just not feasible— or possible. 
It's it just, and, and they're particularly concerned with taking away lanes of traffic along Blue Mound west of Hawley Road. Now, I would argue it's not feasible to do it on Wisconsin Avenue till you get to Hawley Road, but it's certainly, the Common Council is saying it, it's just not feasible to do this after, you know, west of Hawley Road. And they said, okay, um, but nevertheless, you know, Milwaukee County, that's exactly what they, they want to do. They want to um, tear up, you know, or, or at least dedicate these lanes of traffic. And you know, the county, the Milwaukee Common Council, I'm looking at the resolution now, says, whereas the use of exclusive lanes west of Hawley Road could reduce the number of travel lanes available to ordinary vehicular traffic, that's you and me, by up to one half. So can you imagine this? Taking away up to one half of the lanes of traffic along Blue Mound Road, all to put in a high-speed, quote-unquote, rapid bus that's going to knock out a couple minutes to get from downtown to Freighter. Whereas any decrease in the volume of vehicular traffic, cars, along the east-west corridor through an increase in the rapid transit line ridership will be insufficient to negate the increased traffic congestion caused by the loss of travel lanes. And given the fact that this is going to worsen and increase travel times during rush hour traffic, um, you know, we're we're not signing on to this as long as there this is the plan. All right. As... I'm going to tell you, this is the thing that I've been saying for the last two years. This plan makes absolutely no sense. And so what the Milwaukee Common Council is saying is, hey, any idea of rapid bus traffic, you know, it's got to, it's got to involve uh, buses still traveling with the rest of traffic. Okay, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think in this particular instance, the Common Council is has it right. And I, I think, actually, I would expand it greater. Like I say, I think even dedicate, taking away lanes of traffic from downtown out Wisconsin Avenue up to Hawley is a bad idea. But regardless, certainly going west on Blue Mound, it would be devastating to the businesses. You're not going to get any increase in ridership or any significant increase in ridership, and anything else is delusional. Is it time to kill this idea once and for all? I say yes, 414-799-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, like I say, if you want to, there, there's things you can do. If you want to give the bus drivers right now the ability to monkey with the red lights a little bit so they can get through, all right, I, I don't necessarily have a problem with that if you want to try that as an experiment. But to take away, spend tens of millions of dollars taking away vehicular lanes of traffic for cars is, in a word, crazy. And I'm glad some legislative body is finally standing up and saying it. All right, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. 921, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. 923, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. This this plan is just flat nuts. And I'm glad the Common Council, they're not saying nuts, but they're saying it doesn't make any sense at all. Ray in Wauwatosa. Ray, your neck of the woods. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I'm just going to say that there are a number of us in Wauwatosa that have been attending these meetings and have been saying this is the stupidest idea that you could ever imagine. And I'm sure glad that someone might be putting the brakes on this 
Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, I, I mean, I'm just I as somebody who spent a lot of time driving that route from the North Shore out to the medical complex, it, it's already incredibly congested. The idea that you would take away two lanes of traffic all to save maybe six or seven or eight minutes or even 10 minutes it, is just I, you wonder what these politicians are thinking of. At one of the meetings, a gentleman stood up and had the bus schedules in his hand and said, you know, uh, I'm looking at the existing bus schedules. You're talking about saving seven or eight minutes of travel time right? for maybe $60 million, maybe, when all is said and done. Right. It's just stupid. Well, well, it is. And, and the idea is that, that some people say, well, we're going to increase ridership by thousands. Well, who, that, that's just... Who, so, okay, so people, like I say, on the North Shore that are going out to freighter, you're going to drive downtown, get out of your car, wait for a bus, and then take the bus out all to save six or seven or eight or ten minutes. Nobody's going to do that. What what planet do some of these people live on? Yeah, nobody's going to do that. And uh, the uh, the whole one of the ideas that they have is going to uh, get people to stop driving on the freeways. Right. <laughs> Uh, which is just dumb. One of the things that we asked at one of the meetings is we said, well, uh, why don't you do a survey of the employees out at the out at right. the county grounds, and let's just find out how many people need to go from downtown Milwaukee, how right. many millennials need to go from downtown <laughs> Milwaukee out to the medical complex. And uh, the answer was, oh, well, we can't do that. Yeah, right, because we don't want to know the answer. We don't want to know right. the answer. Because exactly. we know, right, th- thanks, right, because we, we know that, right. Okay, so, yes, you're, you're a doctor or a nurse at Freighter, and you're going to, I don't know, you're, you're going to like, take the bus. It's just, now, look, I understand some people take the bus, and I, I am open to ideas if you think that, okay, if we make it, it's really going to increase ridership if we knock a couple minutes off, and there are things that you can do. Again, there's the technology that allows the bus drivers to maybe extend the light a little bit so they can go through. That saves a minute or two. But to take away lanes of traffic, uh, Teresa in Milwaukee, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. I would love to provide an opinion on this. I am a lifelong east side. I grew up on the east side, went to UW-Milwaukee, spent the first 27 years of my life never needing a vehicle and taking mass transit. So when I got married and moved to the west side onto Wisconsin Avenue, I had no choice but to take the mass transit system. I didn't want to drive my car to work. Right. Unfortunately, every day it would take me over an hour to get from uh, near the medical college on Wisconsin Avenue to downtown Milwaukee to where I work. And that was just absolutely ridiculous because it shouldn't have taken that long. Part of the problem was I'd wait 15 to 20 minutes to get a bus right. on the west side of Wisconsin Avenue. Unfortunately, what the county has done over the past 15 years is they've taken away bus routes, they've taken away bus time. So you get fewer buses and fewer bus routes. It's not convenient to take mass transit anymore. So a rapid transit isn't going to change things. What they need to do is bring back the buses, bring back the routes, and then people will go because then it will be convenient. Yeah, I mean, the the idea, and you're talking about, 
The, the reason you got off the buses is because it was taking you an hour to get somewhere, and a lot of that was the waiting time, right? If there is this demand, I, I'm 100% with you. If there's this demand, add some more buses. Or, again, help them with the technology so they can get through red lights or something like that. But, but right, if they're not riding the buses, just to save a couple minutes isn't going to motivate people to ride the buses, and it's going to create all this congestion and make it difficult for people to get into all those businesses. This is just a bad idea. <laughs> Absolutely. I agree. And I think the city has potential to create better transit. Sure. The county has potential. They're just doing it, I think, the wrong way. I think what you have to do is make it convenient for people. People want convenience. Millennials right. want convenience. We all, I'm not a millennial, but I want convenience. Right. I'd absolutely take it if they made it convenient. Right. And then I guess, thank, and thanks for the call. And see, and I, I think that's the key thing. Is the reason people aren't riding the bus between downtown and the medical college, is it because it, 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 it takes it takes eight minutes too long. Will, will that really be what you know shaves off the time? And the reality is, I'm with you. I don't think that has anything to do with why people do or don't ride the the bus. Now, if you want to add more bus lines, like I say, there's all sorts of stuff that you can do and tinker around the edges. But spending forty some million dollars to create dedicated lines. Now, I'd also acknowledge. I think this is ultimately part of Abley and the County Board's stalking horse for light rail. The idea is going to be okay. Now we've got these dedicated bus lanes that are in there tell you what let's tear up the street and let's run the streetcar there which i mean i think this is all going to be an epic fail but at least for the moment the common council in milwaukee is asking the question that the mayor in wauwatosa the wauwatosa common council and the clown car act that is the milwaukee county board has refused to ask it's 929 this is jeff wagner Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. As a matter of policy, I, I've stopped commenting about, I generally not do not comment about this PolitiFact feature that they put in the local newspaper because it is so out of touch with reality that it's kind of like, why bother? But having said that, there is a doozy, an absolute doozy. It's 936, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Very, very cool. Cream Puff Palooza returns tomorrow, this year. We're giving Scafidi and Billstat the chance to hook you up. It's a lot of fun. I did it for years. Glad they get a chance to do it this year. Join the guys tomorrow morning, beginning at 6 o'clock in State Fair's North Lot. That's the lot right in front of, to the north of the Pettit Center, where they'll be handing out a six-pack of cream puffs to the first 300 cars that enter. Um, there's 300 six-packs of cream puffs, first come, first serve. It is the 2017 Cream Puff Palooza, bright and early tomorrow morning, starting at 6 o'clock with the Wisconsin State Fair and 620 WTMJ. Now, I, over the years, I mean, a number of years ago, newspapers, in an effort, I believe, to compete with talk radio, decided they were going to create this this PolitiFact feature, and it really sounds good on paper. The idea is we are going to take statements that politicians or government employees or whatever make, and, and we're going to then analyze them to say if they're true or not. It sounds, it sounds good. Now, the problem is it's something that sounds good in theory, and in practice, doesn't work out so well because you have, of course, the biases of the paper and the reporters that operate into the whole PolitiFact thing. And, you know, what ends up has happened in reality is you get 
uh, comments that get cherry-picked, that get taken out of context. You have the biases of the reporters. Who are the politicians we like? Who are the politicians we don't like? And as a result, it's, to me, politifact. And I, I typically don't comment on it because... It's sort of like reading the funny papers, you know, and it's just you kind of like, okay, this is this this is it's not really fact. It's just one reporter or one editor's opinion on this particular thing. And you can take it as leave it, even though it gets the imprimatur of, oh, this is true or not true. All right. So I generally I just find it to be a waste of spirit commenting on what, what I think is not a newsworthy thing. It's just kind of a frivolous thing that's designed to, again, draw people to the newspaper um, that might not otherwise be. All right, so, okay, so I typically don't comment. But today, 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 BD, who's producing the show, there, there is just a, a doozy. The PolitiFact writer decides to take on <clears throat> the Dantre Hamilton case. Now, let's, let's back into this and go through the kind of the background. Dantre Hamilton was was shot by a former Milwaukee police uh, officer, Christopher Manny, um, on April 30th, 2014, in Red Arrow Park downtown. Now, the, the facts behind the shooting are really not at, at issue. Um, what, what ended up happening is that afternoon, about 2 o'clock, there's an employee at the Starbucks in Red Arrow Park who calls the police about Hamilton, who was sleeping in the park. The call was classified as a welfare check. A desk sergeant called Manny's cell phone, left a voice message saying he wanted Manny to go to the park to check out a homeless guy sleeping there. Okay, so that's the first call. Um, Manny didn't immediately respond to the voicemail. I'm not even sure he was on duty at the time. Two other officers show up. Um, The Starbucks call was referred to a dispatcher who then um, sent two other officers to the park. They found Hamilton sleeping. They nudged him. He got up. He provided identification, said he was taking a nap. The officers left, right? About 2.10 p.m., the police get another call from that Starbucks. The two officers returned. They told employees that Hamilton wasn't doing anything wrong. They leave about 3 o'clock. Okay, Manny, this is the officer um, it's assigned to that area. About 3.30 in the afternoon, he checks his voicemail. And he hears this He hears this call you know, from his supervisor saying, go over and check this out. He calls dispatch and asks if there's an assignment for Red Arrow Park. They say there's not. He says, um, well, um, I, I've, just, I, I've got this voicemail telling me to check this out. He goes to the park. He doesn't know that officers have been there beforehand. All right? None of this is an issue. Okay, so he gets there. He finds Hamilton, who's who's laying down. He sees him there. He helps him up. He begins to pat him down. Now, this becomes controversial because Ed Flynn essentially throws Manny under the bus and says, well, he didn't have a basis for for doing this pat down. I disagree with that. Other people um, don't, don't think he had a basis for it. I think he did. But regardless, all right, he does the pat down. Hamilton resists um, at that point in time. Um, Hamilton is resisting. There is a fight that breaks out. Hamilton grabs, ultimately, the cop's baton and starts hitting him with that. At that point in time, Manny pulls out his gun and shoots Dontre Hamilton as part of this this ongoing struggle that has occurred. 
We all know what happens after that. Uh, Manny ends up getting fired, not for the shooting, but for the quote-unquote improper pat-down in the first place. No criminal charges are brought against Manny. There's a civil lawsuit that ends up getting settled for a couple million dollars. Okay, so that's the background of this. Gwen Moore, the congresswoman from Milwaukee, that area, she takes to the floor of the House of Representatives the other day, and she's arguing in favor of Congress taking up a, a bill which would require law enforcement officers undergo training on de-escalation techniques to assist in reducing the need for the use of force. So she's arguing we should fund this and all officers should be required to take it. I, I, I take no position on that. But on the floor of the House of Representatives, she starts talking about various police shootings. And she says, if you're killed at 31 years old, like Dontre Hamilton, who was shot 14 times by police for resting on a park bench in Milwaukee, nursing home care is not your priority. You won't have the fortune of living that long. So the statement is, if you're killed at 31 years old, like Dontre Hamilton, who was shot 14 times by police, for resting on a park bench in Milwaukee, nursing home care is not your priority. Dontre Hamilton, she claims, was shot for resting on a park bench in Milwaukee. PolitiFact takes on that statement and finds and finds that it is mostly true. A mostly true, a statement that is accurate but needs additional information. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I'm sorry, but this is one of the most ridiculous things that I have ever, ever heard. In my opinion, Dontre Hamilton was not shot for resting on a park bench. Dontre Hamilton was shot because he got involved in a fight with a police officer. He took the officer's baton and started hitting the officer. It had nothing to do with Dontre Hamilton resting on a park bench. The implication of this statement is you have a police officer that essentially came up and executed the man. There is, in my opinion at least, a complete disconnect between Hamilton's resting on a park bench or and the ultimate shooting. But PolitiFact finds, and the reporter, and PolitiFact, is, it's, it's a reporter, finds that, gee, this is mostly true. So what do you think? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. Do you think that Dontre Hamilton, who was shot 14 times by police, was shot for resting on a park bench in Milwaukee? 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. 947, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. I'm sorry, this, this this just demonstrates how biased and how ridiculous some of these features are. Dontre Hamilton, contrary to the claims of Congresswoman Glenn Moore, was not, and apparently PolitiFact, which says it's mostly true, was not shot for resting in Red Arrow Park. Dontre Hamilton was shot because he got into a fight with a police officer. He took the police officer's baton and was hitting the police officer with it. That's why he was shot. It's not like an officer walks over to the park, sees a guy sleeping there, pulls out a gun, and executes him. And yet PolitiFact says, oh, that statement is mostly true. In what world is something 
mostly true. 414-799-1620. Joe in Waukesha. Joe, you're on 620 WTMJ. Yes, good morning, Jeff. How are Hi. you? Very well, thank you. I, this is kind of frustrating to me. Well, the PolitiFact statement is actually false, and I would classify this as fake news. It's something you see every day. Fake news. Well, uh, I mean, you... It's certainly a fake interpretation of of the news. I mean, I mean, it's really now. Thanks to call. I mean, it, it's certainly. I mean, it is certainly a, a bizarre interpretation of this. I, again, I, I I understand. There's been a civil settlement. We understand what happened. This was an unfortunate type of thing. But Gwen Moore clearly is trying to inflame people. The idea that okay, and the impression given is this police officer goes out and essentially executes someone for sleeping on a park bench. Well, no, that that's not accurate. That's not even accurate in the first place. It wasn't he wasn't shot. It had nothing to do with him sleeping on a park bench. The incident occurred because he ended up again struggling with authorities. Now, um whether the officer overreacted or not, okay, you, you, that, that's fine. You can have that discussion. But it has nothing to do with the park bench other than the fact that that's what got the officer to investigate this in the first place. And shame on the reporter and shame on the Journal Sentinel for allowing Gwen Moore to get away with what is, I think, an inflammatory and a very, very unfair comment. Chris and Racine. Chris, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, good morning. I just kind of think just like the last caller was saying, and not only that, I think it's like she could have used it more as like a headline to grab people just to kind of make them look at the situation. But I think, you know, kind of like everybody's saying, like to leave out all of the details, um, there, there's definitely, I watched the whole entire trial, and there's multiple different layers of, Right. Of complexity there. Well, right. And, and fair enough. And now, now, PolitiFact does describe the events. As a matter of fact, I was kind of working off one of their summaries, but it's their conclusion. They, they look at the, the, these facts, the, the, the different calls. They come to, okay, citing these facts that, that are the different calls, and that, that's all accurate. But then they draw the conclusion that Gwen Moore is, is mostly true when she claims that he was shot because he was resting on a park bench, other than the fact that that is what generated the call. (laughs) People get investigated by police all the time for, you know, loitering or whatever. They don't end up getting shot. He wasn't shot because he was resting on a park bench or sleeping in the park or whatever. The incident occurred because he decided that he wanted to fight with the police and the officer ended up having to use deadly force. You can argue if the officer was right or not in the exercise of that deadly force. That's not the question. The question is, why did this happen? And it had nothing at all, at least in my opinion, to do with the fact that he was resting on a park bench. And it's just, I guess, infuriating to suggest otherwise. Andrew and Greenfield texts, whenever they give a rating that includes mostly, that's a code that they know the answer is bogus. What's the difference between mostly true and mostly false, except that you get to associate the word for a statement that you know is bogus? Kind of an interesting point. And again, you you can draw your own conclusions, but I just, all right. In the case of Dontre Hamilton, did Milwaukee police shoot a man for resting in a park? Of course not. They shot him for getting involved in a struggle and threatening the life of a police officer, period. It's 952. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ.
It's 9.55, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Coming up in 10 minutes, a Democrat state representative has an interesting idea to spend taxpayer money instead of spending it on Foxconn. I'm going to share that with you, and I want to discuss it because um, it kind of confronts the issue that's out there in a somewhat bizarre way, but I want to lay it on the table and discuss it with you as the legislature gets together to approve the Foxconn package. That's coming up in about 10 minutes, so please stick around. From one division rival to another, the Brewers resume their homestand this evening against the St. Louis Cardinals. Bob Euchre is back from Cooperstown, and he'll kick off our coverage 6.05 this evening, sponsored by Catholic financial life. Now, I'm in kind of an interesting position because I am, I I think I'm I'm sort of middle of the road when it comes to President Trump. I I get criticized from some people for not completely and totally drinking the Kool-Aid. Oh, you're, you know, you belong on MSNBC. You're just, you're this, this liberal that's out there because occasionally you criticize the president. Well, I criticize the president when I think he deserves to be criticized. Many of my objections are to style, not substance. But I... Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not going to blindly drink the Kool-Aid. On the other hand, I hear regularly from some of our more liberal-leaning cl- colleagues, concluding the people who are just the, the conscious, we hate Trump and Trump can't do anything. Oh, I can't believe you're defending this or that or the other thing. And and actually, the, the truth is, and this is the position I've taken with other presidents, but it's I'm going to criticize people when I think that's appropriate, and I'm going to support them when, when I think it's appropriate as well. I also think that just like Walker derangement syndrome, there is an element of Trump derangement syndrome that's out there in that the people who don't like him decide that they want to take everything he says literally in a way that I haven't seen applied to, certainly wasn't applied to Barack Obama, and I'm not sure I've seen it applied to any president in my lifetime. Trump is spontaneous. Trump makes off-the-cuff remarks. Trump says things that he thinks are funny, or he's trying to be funny, that I don't know if it are or not, but people understand that he's trying to make jokes. Um, and yet the people who hate him decide that we're going to take everything literally. So, all right, he's doing a law enforcement event in Brentwood, New York, the other day. And he, he's talking about supporting law enforcement and their efforts to fight this MS-13 gang that's been accused of several murders, particularly in Long Island. This was the one that uh, Jeff Sessions, the attorney general, was out of the country on, trying to figure out ways to stop this gang from continuing to come into the U.S. So, I mean, he's calling for more immigration officers to help arrest these violent gang members. And then, as kind of a throwaway line, he says, yeah, okay, and, and when when you catch these, these violent murdering drug dealers, don't, don't please don't be too nice. Like, when you guys put somebody in the car and you're protecting their head, you know, the way you put your hand over the top of the car he says well you can take your hand away okay and and people laugh he's trying to be funny he's trying to make a joke now maybe again if you've got no sense of humor or you're looking to be offended you can be offended um immediately though you you have people this is the new york times the president's remark was denounced by police officials etc uh the guy who's the police commissioner um in los angeles what the president recommended would be out of policy in the los angeles police department it's not what policing is about today okay pal take a step back it's not like trump was saying here we want you to beat up suspects trump he was being funny or at least he was trying to be funny. My guess is everybody in the audience understood what he was trying to do, but 
The people who don't like Trump decide we're going to take everything he says literally. We're going to take everything that he says in jest and try to treat it as if it is a proclamation um, at some point in time. And again, I understand that President Trump gets himself in trouble with some of the things he says. But at the same time, at the same time, there's people out there who are deciding that they're going to take everything he says literally because they want to be outraged. And those people need to get a life. It's 959. It's 10.09, Jeff Wagner, 6.20, WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. Um, This is kind of interesting. Jonathan Brostoff is a very liberal state representative from Milwaukee. And he's written an op-ed piece. I I saw it in one of the the local websites, Urban Milwaukee. I don't know if it was written for others as well. But it it gives his opinion on the Foxconn deal. And the legislature is getting together to pass this package, and they will pass this package, to bring Foxconn in. But he's got an op-ed piece that raises an interesting issue. And I want to share a portion of it with you because it it kind of – Brostoff is very liberal Democrat who's deep, deep, deep into Walker derangement syndrome and to, you know, we hate Donald Trump and all that sort of stuff. But it does raise an interesting larger issue that I want to discuss with you. As And let me just summarize it before I read a portion of the op-ed. He essentially says, instead of taking $3 billion and giving it to Foxconn to create jobs over the years, what we should do is just take the money and give it to local hire people to do infrastructure projects. So don't go through the middleman. Don't bring don't spend the money to bring the business here. Spend the money directly on hiring people to build roads and things like that. Let me share the, the piece with you. Uh that's it. Why I oppose the Foxconn deal. For the three billion dollars demanded by Foxconn. We can fix every pothole in the state with Wisconsin workers. We can reduce our public school classroom sizes by hiring hundreds of new teachers. We can reinvest in our university system and still have money left over. Instead, Scott Walker is working with billionaire private interests to fleece the public and demand that we pay the price tag. When approaching a venture like this, it's important to look at who we are dealing with. Scott Walker, Foxconn, and Donald Trump. First, we have Walker, a politician whose credibility on jobs is lacking. Remember, this is the same guy who lied about creating 250,000 jobs in his first term. Strike one. Then we have Foxconn, the same company that lied about the factory they were going to set up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Strike two. Finally, we have Trump, who is personally taking credit for single-handedly making this happen. I can think of no politician in American history who has lied more about everything and anything. Strike three. So are we asking Wisconsinites to put their trust and billions of tax dollars into a deal with these three unworthy entities at the helm? Now, let me just stop there. Uh, The argument would obviously, I think, be more interesting and better if he wasn't just so, so, so deep into the anti-Walker, anti-Trump derangement syndrome. But, okay, here's where he gets to the substance. Instead of wrestling with the proportion of extortion, that would be money to Foxconn, why not cut out the graft 
and just hire Wisconsin workers directly. If we're serious about tech investments, we have a nationally renowned university system that would be much better a much better investment. Over the years, we've let ourselves accept this race to the bottom where we have to bribe mercenary companies to lure them to our cities with big dollars. These are huge companies with no loyalties to the places they're coming to. The loyalty is only to the payoff money they demand. They bribe. They threaten politicians with campaign dollars, an army of highly paid professional lobbyists and public relations firms. Cowardly politicians sell out their communities, often leaving them with the bill, regardless of whatever promises end up getting fulfilled, and usually at a higher cost than initially proposed. The extortion continues and the process repeats. This is a terribly inefficient use of resources. Tons of money should not be going to subsidize jobs through corporate welfare, especially when these jobs may well be lost to op- automation in a few years or move because of a bigger payoff from somewhere else. I'm in favor of economic development, and I'm against crony capitalism. A better use of our resources for economic development would be to invest in small businesses already invested in our state and here for the long haul, not some company that wants to suck as much of our resources as possible and then leave us as quickly as they came. Even if you still support this, don't get it twisted. It's like the middle-class dad spending his mortgage at the casino for a moonshot hope that he can pay for his kid's college tuition with a wink, some optimism, and a lot of luck at the craps table. Not sure I follow that analogy, but it's uh, instead we need to make sound, fiscally responsible decisions. Leave the casino, spend less than we make, and get a good night's rest because there is more than enough work to do in the morning. Another path is possible if we're willing to do the courageous thing and take a stand. If we're willing to spend billions of taxpayer dollars, then let's employ Wisconsin workers, fix every hot pothole in our state, hire community connectors and park staff, invest in renewable energy infrastructure, etc., etc., etc. We don't have to say yes to this shiny headline-grabbing proposal. Trump has perfected the art of the steel. Isn't that clever? And it's up to us to stand up and keep it real. Real jobs that will build our economic stability and real investment where it's needed. Let me cut through all this. What he is saying is rather than giving money, I wonder how he felt about the Bucks Arena. Just wondering. But um, rather than giving money to Foxconn in terms of incentives to come in to build a facility to hire, they say they're going to spend somewhere in the neighborhood of $7 billion just constructing this facility. Instead of doing that, we should take $3 billion, the money that we're talking about giving in incentives, and just ignore Foxconn and just go out and hire Wisconsinites or Wisconsin businesses to fix the potholes in the roads, et cetera, et cetera, and hire more teachers, et cetera. Why give the money to the business that is then going to provide the jobs? Why not just pay for this in the first place? All right. Does that have any appeal? That is the Acunet Mortgage talk and text line. His idea is why give the money to Foxconn and hope that they're going to create good-paying jobs. Let's just spend the money on our infrastructure, hire more teachers. That way we know that Wisconsin residents get the dough. All right, is there a problem with this argument, or is it appealing? I'll tell you what I think and we'll discuss. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1016, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 
1018, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Which is a bigger problem when it comes to hiring? Lack of job skills or the inability of an applicant to pass a simple drug test? You might be surprised at the answers. Cafidi and Billstad, get your reaction today at 235. I just shared with you an op-ed piece that was written by a very liberal state representative named Jonathan Brostoff. His argument is he's going to oppose the Foxconn deal. And he says if we're going to, if we have $3 billion to spend, instead of using it to lure a business to Wisconsin to provide jobs, why don't we just give the money directly to Wisconsinites? We've got potholes that need to be fixed. Let's hire people to fix the potholes. We need more teachers in our classroom. Let's hire those teachers. That's a better use of money, and we know we know it's going to go to the right place. That's his argument. 414-799-1628. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Is there a problem with with this argument? Um, let me just, before we take some calls, let me look at our text line here. A couple people raised what came to mind first. Um, let's see. Uh, the idea, Nathan, for example, writes, President Obama tried this with the EDA. Lots of retention ponds. But once that work was complete, what happened to all those workers? In other words, all right, you take taxpayer dollars and you have some public works project. You, we're going to hire people to build retention ponds. We're going to hire people to fill the potholes. You spend the taxpayer dollars. You fill the potholes. You pay them money. And then what happens? Those jobs go away because the potholes are filled. The money is gone. Obviously, the big difference, and this is the big difference between let's have the government do this versus let's have the private sector. The idea is you lure a company here. You induce a company to come here. First of all, now Foxconn says they're going to spend $7 billion off the top to most of which is going to go to Wisconsin businesses that are going to be used to build the whole facility. So that's $7 billion there. But the idea is, you know, it, it's not just here's $3 billion, do the project and go away. The idea is come here, hire people, and hopefully stay in existence for years and years so those jobs stay, so those people stay, so it's not just a one-time thing. That's, I think, the big difference. 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage um, talk and text line. That, to me, is the key. Let's start with, um, let's see, Tom in the Dells. Tom, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hey, Jeff. How are you doing? Good. What do you think? Well, man, as a business owner, it's kind of interesting. I had a business back in the 80s in the Fox River Valley, and then I, I sold that. I opened up another business about seven years ago in Wisconsin Dells. We got about 35 employees, and, and I am amazed at the amount of new taxes over those just 20 or 30 years that have been added in on small business owners. I, I think it's wonderful we want to replace the roads. I think it's wonderful we want to add more teachers. The reality is there's so much waste in those two industries mm-hmm. um, that we need, we need to streamline those industries why not give some money to small business owners to incentivize them so that they can build new buildings and, you know, that'll, that'll you know, right. rejuvenate the economy? Well, yeah, and on top of that, I mean, look, you're, you've been in business, your latest business, seven years, you said? Yes. Okay, so, all right, you're, you, you've started your business. Those employees you have are, are continu- it wasn't just a one-time thing. You're trying to grow your business. You are continuing. Right. And, and the people that you're employed, they, they have ongoing jobs. It's not like they were just 
hired for a one-shot thing. Right. They're, they're, they're sustaining jobs, and the, presumably the people live in the community or close to the community and all that. that that's the difference between one-time payments from the government and the, the growth of the private sector, stuff like you're doing. Yeah, and the other thought I have is when I had that business in the Fox River Valley, it, the um, you know they were going to be bringing in another really big business, and so all sorts of tax incentives, and I get it. But at the same time, it's like, okay, so I went to the chamber who we belong to. I says, well, what are you doing for the little guy? Well, you know, right. you're kind of small, and it's like, okay, yeah, <laughs> no, you can see the frustration. Oh no, absolutely, and thanks. No, and and I appreciate. I mean, that's I mean, that's always that's always the issue, kind of with with winners and losers. When I mean, for example, the city of Milwaukee, they, they cut this deal where they've, I don't want to say it's a bailout, but they've cut a very, very friendly deal to keep Boston Store as the the anchor on the north side of, of the Grand Avenue development. You know, and they, they've cut a very, very friendly deal because they think they need that. And that's okay. But, you know, I, I've, I've always thought about, okay, what about the guy that's been in business that runs the eight-person auto shop or something, you know, 20 blocks down the road? You know, what's going to happen if he goes in and says, hey, I want my own economic development package? Well, the answer is he's going to be told to pound sand. But I thought this was an interesting piece because to me, it is the complete, it shows the difference in philosophies. You have a very, very liberal state representative who says, let's take the taxpayer dollars. Let's make one-time expenditures um, on public works projects. That's a better use of the money as opposed to saying, let's take the money, let's bring a large company in, let's let them hire people, and then we get the money back over time. Um, again, now stuff can go wrong with these deals, I, I guess. Um, there, there's no question about it. There's always some degree of risk, but this is the example of, again, what's the biblical thing? You, you give a man a fish and he eats for one day. Here it's, you know, you give him the fishing pole and the bait, and theoretically they're able to do it for years and years. Let's talk to Jerry in Appleton. Jerry, you're on 620 WTMJ. Oh, thanks for taking my call, Jeff. Well, this liberal uh, uh, assemblyman or senator that, that put this article out that you're alluding to, and I did not see that, so it was interesting. But, I mean, he's it's kind of like, well, you're going down the right road here. We're going to spend $3 billion, but give it to us, and we'll spend it for you. Right. I mean, Foxconn is going to be renewing income. I mean, yes. it's like, where's the $3 billion going to come from? I mean, this is going to be a revenue rejuvenator, and dollars are going to keep compounding over each other. There's going to be jobs. It's going to right. widen the tax base. It's, you know, the argument. Right, and theoretically, I mean, if it all works out as planned, and there's always some sort of risk in these things, but there's risk in everything. If it works out as planned, not only are you going to have Foxconn, but you're going to have the other businesses that, you know, provide materials that support Foxconn, they're going to sure. come up. You know, right? You're going to have that growth thing. Whereas if you just take $3 billion in tax money and give it out, right. it's gone. You get nothing back. Let right. me say one more thing quickly, Jeff, just as a rebuttal to this to this person's article. Uh, Tom Barrett's talking it up pretty good in Milwaukee, and Peter Barca was talking it up pretty yeah. big down in his district. So, yeah. uh, uh, but they'd love, like, some of them would like to throw a pail of cold water on this. You know it's killing them. Well, they, right, they would because because, I mean, the political reality of this is that, you know, Scott Walker is going to get credit for this. And there's some people that are deep in the Walker derangement syndrome mode that just don't want anything. 
able to do this. If just and this this is the politics of it. If this were you know twelve years ago and Jim Doyle did something like this, the people that are writing pieces like this, you'd never hear the word corporate welfare. They would be doing the happy dance. Look at this. We're bringing all this this giant company here. Look at what this is going to be. Oh, great! But because it's Scott Walker, well, no, we can't give Walker any sort of credit. I mean, these people that are out there rooting for the failure of the state. It is very, very frustrating. And look, and I understand that there are some risks to this, but this whole idea of of corporate welfare, well, the truth of the matter is you have to spend money to make money. And I keep coming back to what I have said since this deal first surfaced. Would we have felt better if we woke up the morning after this deal was announced and you turned on the radio and you heard Foxconn is taking all these jobs and this seven, this $10 billion in investment and they're going to put it in Detroit? Would we really have felt better about that? Now, obviously, some, some very liberal members of the state legislature apparently think that that's exactly how they feel. But most of us, I don't think so. Mark and Mequon. Mark, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, thanks for taking my sure. call. My concern is 10 years from now, the product that this uh, foreign company makes uh-huh. uh, for the screens becomes a commodity and then faces major competition. So then you go to laying off the workers because we're not making our profits. Mm-hmm. And then you go 10 years from now, there's much more ad- advanced in technology so they can automate this plant much more. Mm-hmm. And there go the workers again. I, I, I just there's a risk to this thing. No, there is a risk. I mean, I guess, but does but that mean it's you don't a very do it? Big risk. It's a lot of money. But does and that mean you don't do company. it? The caller you just had on, a small business, complained about the taxes, and that you know small business is not getting helped. Well, they're giving the money to this company in Taiwan. I mean, there's only so much money to come around. Well, but but at the same, well, small business from Wisconsin. Well, but they do. I mean, thanks to call Mark, they do indirectly. See, I mean, okay. So Foxconn says, all right, we we're going to invest ten billion dollars in building this giant facility. Of that ten billion dollars, six point seven B as in billion is going to go to Wisconsin. Come, somebody's got to build the facility. And that's going to be the small businesses. Then the small that I mean, the small businesses are getting that kind of dough up front because they're going to be. I don't know what the caller did, but let let's say you run a. I don't know. Let let's say you run a company that makes you know bricks or you know whatever. Okay, you're, you're going to have to. Foxconn is going to be buying that stuff from them. Now, admittedly, this isn't the state going out and saying we're going to buy the bricks directly, but the money goes at least indirectly to Wisconsin businesses because the stuff has to be built. Is there some risk? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I guess you could say that about any startup that's out there. You know, what happens if five or ten years down the road you decide that okay, people don't want your your product anymore. All right, you were a blockbuster video, and now uh, people, it was a license to print money for a while, but now the technology has changed. Well, does that mean that you didn't want to open a blockbuster video 20 years ago? I I don't necessarily think so. 1029, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1037, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. So glad to have you with us. There's a new, potentially more dangerous threat being posed by North Korea's recent missile tests. John McCure tells you what it is and what's being done about it. That's at 420 this afternoon. Tune in to Wisconsin's Afternoon News. And as a quick reminder, all right, two days from now, 
This program and all our weekday broadcasting from WTMJ originates from what we call the fishbowl at the Wisconsin State Fair. State Fair starts on Thursday and uh, beginning with my program at 8.30. So if you are out at the fair, be sure to stop by our broadcast facility and come look at us. Remember, we can also look back through the glass so we can see you as well. But uh, stop on out and say hi. It's uh, one of my very, very favorite times of the year. I love the facility out there. I love everything to do with the State Fair, so I'm very much looking forward to that. All right. Um, After much argument over the legislation and over a series of court cases that pretty much resolved themselves yesterday, starting tomorrow— If you travel down to Chicago for whatever reason and you go into a restaurant or a grocery store, it's a hot August day and you decide, you know what, I want to I want to get I want to get a cold soda pop. I want to have a Coke or I want to have a Diet Coke or I want to have one of those flavor. I want to have a Snapple, but I, you know, I, I want to have the, this. I want to have a Snapple, and I, I like their iced tea. I, I want to have that. If you decide that you are going to do that, be prepared to pay more, because starting tomorrow in Cook County, there is a one cent per ounce tax that is applied will be applied to the purchase of any sugary soda, or artificially sweetened soda. So uh, a Coke would, you know, Coke with sugar, Diet Coke qualifies as well. The tax applies to soda, diet soda, ready-to-drink sweetened coffees and teas, sports and energy drinks, and juice products that aren't 100% fruit or vegetable juice, among other beverages. So it's one cent per ounce. For example, if you go into a grocery store and you buy a two-liter bottle of Mountain Dew, right? Um, normally that two-liter bottle costs about a buck. You will incur a 67-cent tax on the soda. The Mountain Dew is a buck. You will pay 67 cents in tax. I don't know if they have a sales tax in Cook County on top of that or not, but the soda tax will be 67 cents. I, I buy I buy Diet Coke. So um, let's say you buy a 12-pack. Typically, you know, I'll go to the grocery store. I'll buy a 12-pack of Diet Coke. So you get 12 12-ounce cans. That means whatever you're paying for the 12-pack of Diet Coke – I don't know, sometimes you get it on sale, what, three, four bucks. Um, there'll be an added $1.40-some-odd cents tax that would be applied to that 12-ounce sleeve of Diet Coke. Um, it doesn't apply um, if you go in, for if you go into a, a Starbucks, for example, and you buy one of their pre-mixed things that has sugar in it, it applies. It doesn't apply if you go and you ask for them to make you a Frappuccino. It doesn't apply if you order a black coffee and put your own sugar in. But essentially anything that comes in a can or comes in a bottle that's pre-mixed that has sugar or artificial sweeteners, it, it goes, they'll put it in. Um, you pay the tax. They estimate that In just the remainder of this year, and these numbers are actually kind of staggering, they estimate uh, just for the remainder of this year, 
Cook County, and that's where Chicago is, expects the tax to bring in $67.5 million just between now and the end of the year. That might be a little bit lower because originally it was supposed to go into effect July 1st, but it got delayed by legis- by court cases. Uh, so they expect $67.5 million. They expect next year, once it's in effect for an entire year, it will generate over $200 million in taxes in Cook County alone. The argument in favor of this is that, well, it's kind of like the smoking argument. Um, you know, people who drink sugary sodas or artificially sweetened sodas are more likely to have health problems. Sugary sodas lead to diabetes and all these different problems. So there's an added health care cost. So let's tax this and maybe we can change behavior. But also, if we generate $200 million a year, that's a lot of money that we can spend on other needs. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Our official, and Chicago's not the only, in Cook County, but uh, Cook County slash Chicago, it's not the only community in the country that's done this. There have been a handful of others, and more and more are looking at this as a way to generate revenue, and a way to change people's behavior because some of the powers that be have decided if you're drinking that Diet Coke, all right, you shouldn't be doing that. You are putting your health at risk. So here we want to discourage you from doing that, and we're going to do it through tax policy. So let's tee this up. Is this, should we do this here? Should we do it in Milwaukee County? Should we do it in Racine County? Should we do it in Ozaukee County? Should we say, all right, let's start taxing. We'll put an extra tax on any of the pre-sweetened, whether it's sugar or artificial beverages, um, we can raise a boatload of money, and maybe we can make people, I don't know, be a little bit healthier. Is this the answer to all our tax problems? Would you support a one-cent-per-ounce tax? Like I say, two-liter bottle of soda, you might be able to buy it for a dollar. That means that you're going to be paying 67 cents in tax on top of the dollar. Is this the way to go? I will tell you where I come down on this, and we will discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. And if you're going to Chicago, like I say, starting tomorrow, be prepared for sticker shock if you are going to order a pre-sweetened drink. All right, we discuss next. If you're on the line, please hold on. It's 1044. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1046, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Okay, if you travel to Chicago starting tomorrow... And you go into a convenience store and you buy soda. A new tax is in place, a one cent per ounce tax on essentially any pre-sweetened drink. Coke, Diet Coke, Mountain Dew, doesn't matter if it's sugar or pre-sweetened, Snapple, iced tea, you know, any of those types of things, you're paying a one cent tax. If you buy a 12-pack sleeve of Diet Coke, you're paying an extra dollar and forty-four cents um, for in tax. If you buy an ounce, a two-liter bottle of Mountain Dew, you're paying sixty-seven cents in tax on a product that probably costs you a dollar. They estimate that they're going to raise next year over two hundred million dollars from this tax. Should we be taxing sugary sodas? Four one four seven nine nine one six twenty. Let's see if I look at our text line. Connie and Delavan says, hands down, yes. 
She thinks it's a good idea. Um, another note here, Cook County has an 11% sales tax, so a uh, $1.20 liter bottle will cost $1.76 in tax. Huh, 414-799-1620. Let's start with Tom in Brookfield. Tom, good morning. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Tom. I think this tax is an excellent idea. However, I think in that case it's misdirected. I think we need a federal tax, call it a sin tax, on sugary drinks, alcohol, tobacco products, anything that's unhealthy, and use that money specifically to fund our health care. Mm-hmm. I think that that extra money would take care of pre-existing conditions, that type of thing, and bring down everybody's costs. And we all know that these types of products add to obesity, diabetes, uh, even some suspicion that it, it contributes to uh, dementia. Why would you stop then at sugary sodas? If that's the theory, why wouldn't we impose that tax on, on everything? We should Pot, do it. We should do it pies, on ice cream. We do it on alcohol, tobacco products that should not be limited. Foodstuffs, cookies. Cookie. Unhealthy behavior. So foodstuffs, cookies, um, cakes. Exactly. Oreo cookies, fudge sticks, whatever you want. Ice cream products, anything that makes somebody obese contributes to our health care costs in this country, and they, people should be paying for that cost. Okay, thanks for the call. 414-799-1620, I'm sorry, 414-799-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, that Tom makes the argument. that, And that's, see, one of the things, this is, this is where this is going. So, I mean, the, that is the idea here. Now, candidly, all this money they're going to raise, it's not going to all go to diabetes prevention or things like that. They're going to use it for general revenues to an extent. But but beyond that, I mean, this is this the argument now? Because, you know, we engage in arguably unhealthy behaviors, so let's tax the cheese out of this. Um, and I guess I've always argued if you're going to, if the argument is going to be we're concerned that people are, are drinking Mountain Dew or Diet Soda or Snapple or whatever – um, why don't we – we're going to tax that. What, what is the rational point for stopping? I mean, shouldn't we then be taxing pies? You know how much sugar goes into pies? You know, shouldn't we be taxing, uh, again, cakes, cookies, anything that has sugar in it, shouldn't we be applying that tax as well? Is that really where we're going to go? 414-799-1620. Now, needless to say – I do not think that you should try to change behavior via tax policy. To me, this is not about health. This is about trying to figure out a different way to get yourself, for the government to get itself into individuals' pockets. And candidly, I'm surprised that people in Cook County are putting up with this. This is an enormous tax, and it is an extremely regressive tax, regressive being something that disproportionately impacts Poorer people. I mean, look, if, if you're somebody that's making 100 grand or 200 grand a year, all right, do you want to pay an extra dollar forty when you buy that 12 pack of Diet Coke? No, you don't, but you can afford it. Well, what about the people who, all right, necessarily can't afford it? The person making 30 grand a year who still likes to have that occasional Diet Coke, they're the ones that are getting really stuck with this. Norman in Arlington Heights. Norman, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. I had you on and i feel i have to comment on this number one people who are getting food stamps are exempt yes that's right i did not mention that right if you're on right if you're paying for it with like food what the equivalent of whatever you guys call food stamps down there you don't have to pay the tax so (laughs) the the the, people that would benefit 
by being told don't buy soda pop, and I'm not sure people on food stamps should be allowed to buy soda pop, but they are. The people that are uh, going to benefit theoretically by not by being discouraged. Uh, right, they're, they're not exempt. discouraged. Yeah, they're right. That's right. There was litigation about. There was litigation about that too. You're right. So if you're on food stamps, you get a free ride. Um, but if you're making forty grand, you you don't. How do you feel about this tax? Well, very simple. I live a mile from Lake County, so we if we're really that incensed about it, and I just drink soda pop maybe with a meal a day. Right. Uh, we can buy it instead of buying at the Jewel in Arlington Heights, where I live, which is maybe a mile to the south. Right. I can go a mile and a half the other way, <laughs> right. Lake County, and not pay it. Yeah. No. It's a, that. Thanks. See, and that that's the other that's the other problem that, that's out there. You know, people. It, it's what happens when you impose. Look, it, it, for example, in Milwaukee County, you've got. You know, they they always talk about putting like the, these extra sales taxes on. I'm not sure a half a percent, for example, on most items would motivate somebody in Milwaukee County to drive to Waukesha County to make the same purchase. But I I do think, you know, especially for people with families, you're not going to change your behavior. You know, if you go through two or three twelve packs of of soda in a given week, you know, and you're talking about okay a dollar forty four you know times three. At some point in time, like Norman says, you know, he he can he can drive two miles one way or two miles the other way, well, he, he's going to go outside the county. I, I do think this is going to hurt retailers. Matter of fact, there's a story I'm looking at in the Chicago Tribune that's talking about how at, at least some businesses are already talking about layoffs because um, they know that this is going to end up hurting their business. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to, uh, let's see, one, two, three, four. Um, Linda in Greenfield. Linda, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. What do you think? I am all for this tax. And the reason, and I've been reading about it for a while, I'm for this because the first thing that comes to my mind is health insurance and how we all talk about how obese America is. And that's one of the reasons why our health insurance claims are so high. And there is a point to where they are shoving this down your your throat. But I also feel that if this was done, people would be healthier in America or in the state of Wisconsin or Cook County. Therefore, health insurance would be less money. Would you support, let me ask you the same same question I asked the first caller. Why, Why then would you support extending this to any product with sugar in it? I mean, why stop at Mountain Dew? Should we also be taxing baked goods that that have sugar in them or ice cream or things like that? I think when you mentioned a few few minutes ago that for the rest of the year this was going to bring in $65 million to Cook County in six months just just on soda, I think that's a great start. Maybe down the road do something else, but I think soda, I think for $130 million a year, I think that's a great start for the state of Wisconsin. Okay, thanks for the call. I mean, that, that, that's it's out there. I mean, wh- where do you draw the, um, what about potatoes? I, I just, if, you know, potatoes, lots of carbohydrates in, in potatoes. You know, if you're, if you're diabetic or pre-diabetic, potatoes are one of those things, and I love potatoes, but potatoes are one of those things that you're not supposed to eat because of the high carb content in them. So, you know, what do we do? What do we tax? Should we tax potatoes? Um, you know, now this is a very slippery slope because pretty soon you then end up imposing this type of tax. If the justification is we want people to eat healthy, pretty soon 
you're kind of limited. You're going to be taxing almost everything in the grocery store um, outside the vegetable aisle and maybe even some of those. All right, we've touched a nerve. We continue the conversation next. If you're on the line, please hold on. Interestingly, three of our first four callers think this is a great idea and would be in support of bringing this to Wisconsin. Uh, We continue the conversation. Stick around. 1055, Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Tell you what, um, we've got the top of the hour news coming up. I want to carry this over, continue this for one more segment. We've got absolutely jammed phone lines on this. Um, If you go down to Chicago starting tomorrow, you will pay substantially, substantially more in tax if you buy a pre-sweetened beverage. If you're buying beverages like that in grocery stores, you're going to be paying a ton more money. Is this the way to go? Three of our first callers say, yeah, they'd like to see this happen in Wisconsin. We continue the conversation. Uh, hang on. It's 1059, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 1108, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. We're continuing our conversation. If you go to Chicago starting tomorrow, you will pay and you order a, a soda, diet soda, diet diet soda, regular soda, Mountain Dew, any pre-sweetened drink. You go in and buy one of those pre-sweetened energy drinks. Doesn't matter. Anything that either has artificial sweeteners or has sugar in it, you will pay a one cent per ounce tax. Um, buy a two liter bottle of Mountain Dew or Diet Coke or you know Diet Fanta or whatever, you will pay 67 cents in tax in addition to the dollar that the liter costs. In addition, um, Drew makes a point as well, the tax is also implemented um, if you in bars. So if you order a rum and Coke at a bar, um, any mixed drink with sugar will also be charged the tax. So it, it doesn't just apply to grocery stores or convenience stores. Uh, or, uh, again, restaurants that are selling Coke or Diet Coke, it also applies to the bars as well. If, like me, um, you drink, let's see, when when I drink whiskey, I drink whiskey. So I drink it neat or maybe with one little ice cube in it, it would not apply. All right, but, but the bottom line is, I just think it's bad policy, and I don't understand where you really draw the line. To me, this isn't about health. To me, this is just about another way to get into people's pockets, but, um, and I guess I don't understand what the logical point is, why would you stop if you're deciding that sugar is bad and we need to get sugar out of our systems, why just stop at, at sodas? I mean, why stop at beverages? Why aren't we going after cakes and pies and cookies and all those type of things? I'm not arguing that we should. I'm just saying, what is the logical point here? And, and what about all the other stuff? I mean, what about red meat? You know, we, we all know that I don't know, you eat one of those big steaks or you eat that hamburger and that's not going to be good for you. I mean, why, why, if we're going to, if we think that we should all be a bunch of people, I wouldn't say eat granola because that's got some sugar in it, but you know that we all should be doing nothing but eating rabbit food. Why don't we just tax everything? 414-799-1620. Rod in Richwood. Rod, good morning. Hey, hey, Jeff, first time caller, long time listener. Thank you, sir. Thank you. I'm a dairy farmer out here in Richwood and, uh, Dodge County. Right. And, uh, yeah, we're, like you said, where do they stop? Pretty soon it'll be ice cream. Pretty soon it'll be cheese. Pretty soon it'll be milk. Right. You know, and, and the dairy industry is the biggest industry in Wisconsin. We employ more anybody, more than anybody in Wisconsin. You know, you know and it's a slippery slope. You know, if, sure, whole milk. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's yeah, people that argue exactly. that milk's not good for you. Why, why shouldn't yeah, we be taxing that? Yeah, yeah, cheese, you know, ice cream. 
Who don't like to have a bowl of ice cream at night before you go to bed? <laughs> yeah. Well, just, well, Rod, first of all, I mean, my hat's off to you because I, I know a lot of people who are dairy farmers, and I think it is one of the toughest occupations around. Those cows, yeah. they don't care if it's the 4th of July. They don't care oh, if it's Christmas. Yeah. They just got to be milk. That's all they know. Oh, yeah. yeah, 3 o'clock in the morning and 3 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> yeah. No. So I, yeah. I, 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 well, don't let them go down a slippery slope. Got Keep it. Keep man, Adam. Thank, let them know what's going on out here. Thanks, all a, right, thanks a lot, Rod. I appreciate you calling. I appreciate you listening. I just have the greatest respect for dairy farmers. I, I, I've told the story before. If you heard it, bear with me. When I was running for office back in a long time ago, uh, I hooked up with former state senator Dave Zine, who represented this area outside of Eau Claire. And he says, hey, I, you know, I'll introduce you around. Do you want to come for office hours? And he said, I said, sure. And he said, well, it's, at, it's uh, okay, it's at 4. And I said, well, Dave, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking he's talking about 4 in the afternoon. I said, Dave, it's, that's too late. I'm going to be out of town. He says, no, no, Jeff, 4 in the morning. He said, no, my, my constituents are dairy farmers. These guys are out milking cows at 3 and 4 in the morning. And then, then, they're, then they go out. That's when they have breakfast. They're in the coffee shops. That's when they get together. And, and I, I went along with him, and he, he was right. He had this, these rounds he make. You know, you start out at 4, and you go to one place, and then 4.30, you go to another place. Um, people who are dairy farmers work really, really hard. 414-799-1620 is the number Christine in Manitowoc. Christine, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning, Jeff. What do you who think? Gets, I wonder who gets to decide what is healthy and what isn't. Because you mentioned steaks. Yep. I love steaks. Yep. I've been eating more red meat and steaks and the, barely any sugar in the last year. I've lost 60 pounds. Yeah, you're on that Atkins, you're kind of that Atkins approach, huh? <laughs> yeah, sort of. Atkins is a variation of a low-carb diet, but right. yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing low-carb. Right. So yeah, I uh, yeah, I was wondering too. Sugar, cookies, um, ju- what about orange juice? Right. I mean, it, right. Orange well- juice is horrible. Right. It, even 100% right. I mean, look, as somebody who watches their carbs, I don't drink juices anymore because, mm-hmm. you know, it's just it's just so high in carbs. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, I guess the, the big issue is, you know, where do you draw the line and, and who decides on this? And, uh, and I guess I just, again, look, something's going to kill us all. And I, I just don't believe this is about health. I believe this is about a way to generate all sorts of revenue. It's just a way of imposing an additional tax, period. Yep, yep. sugar's a drug. Let's make heroin legal and just tax it really high. <laughs> Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. Well, how about, okay, one of the things I have cut out, how about sugary cereals? I mean, my, my gosh, you know, you want to talk about you want to talk about a sugar delivery system. I mean, go go pick up a box of Frosted Flakes, for example. I mean, it's just it's it's just pure, complete, total sugar. Now, I'm not advocating that we impose a tax on that, but if the justification is going to be, you know, we want to get sugar out of people's systems, now, I got a couple of people who are saying, well, you know, the if if you drink it in a liquid form, it's more intense. Okay, I mean, but. But still, I mean, if we're going to say sugar is bad, see, this is the slippery slope that we are down. Years ago, the conversation was tobacco. Now we've pretty much recognized that we're going to try to tax tobacco out of existence. So now this is the next step. And it's, again, we're, we're going after, this case, it's sugary sodas. And I'm, I mean, I don't drink that much sugary soda. I mean, I'll, I'll have a diet Coke. I'll, I'll get a 12-pack of Diet Coke, and that will last me. It'll probably last me two weeks. I mean, it, it, you know, I, I just maybe one a day. Um, I, I drink black coffee. I drink beer. I drink whiskey. I drink things like that. But, but I mean, 
But for people, if you've got kids, for example, if you've got families, and, and you decide that you think it's okay for your kids to have a soda from here and there every once in a while, the, the problem isn't people having that occasional thing of soda. The problem is, all right, if you're guzzling the two-liter bottle of Mountain Dew you know, once a day, yeah, that's going to cause you some issues. But do we really need the government taxing everybody for that? Let's talk to George in Elgin. George, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, sir. I could offer you many perspectives, but I've lived in Illinois for 71 of my 81 years of life, and I can't believe that anybody would really believe the motivating factor of the Chicago politicians <laughs> is the health care of the citizens. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll leave it at that. Okay. So in other words, this is just a way, another way to get into people's pockets. You, you don't think this is going to be used to, for diabetes research. It's going to be used for something else. Uh, thank, thanks, and, and, that, and that's just the that, that's that's just the bottom line of this. I mean, okay, so then it just becomes a, a policy. I, and I agree, by the way. I, now it just becomes a policy question. The question essentially being, all right, is, is this is this an adequate? Is this something that's justified with taxes? Now, the problem you have is again. You you make right now. Cook County has made the decision that they're going to be a tax island. By that, I mean it, it only applies into Cook County. So imagine if we did this in Milwaukee County. And I, couldn't you see the clown car act that is the county board and the county executive going along with something like this? Okay, so you make it in Milwaukee County. Well, uh, again, what does that do? It hurts a lot of local businesses because some people are just going to make the decision, okay, um, I'm going to drive out to Waukesha or I'm going to drive up to Mequon and, and I'm going to buy my stuff there or down to Racine County. You, you make yourself a tax island if you keep doing this stuff. Let's talk to Chris in Hartford. Chris, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Hi, Jeff. How are you? I, I'm well, thank you. Okay, is this a good idea? That's a terrible idea. I understand why someplace like Illinois or Chicago will do it because they are so far in debt, they need every penny that they can get from a tax revenue standpoint. But from a policy standpoint for the citizenry, I think anybody who thinks that this extra funding is going to be used for all these warm and fuzzy programs of (laughs) diabetes reduction and all the other stuff, I think they're crazy. They're, They're delusional to think that the government is ever going to use the money for anything more than the government. Yeah. Right, exactly. And it's just, you're, you're exactly right. It's just an alternative way of getting revenue. And it's going to be getting a heck of a lot of revenue. I mean, this estimate, two, $200 million in additional tax revenue. Yeah. I, I was, I was, yeah, dollar value. yeah, I was, I was kind of taken back. No, thanks for calling. And see, and the interesting thing, Chris, that kind of leads me into one of these other points. The interesting thing is, okay, they say they're doing this to, uh, again, try to make people lead healthier. Or uh, try to make people, you know, I guess not eat, but you know, drink healthier or whatever. But yet they're depending on this revenue. It's two hundred million dollars. Well, that tells me that that again, they're not really counting on this changing behavior. They're counting on this again as a way to raise a boatload of of revenue. Uh, Dennis and Elkhorn raised an interesting point too. What I don't get is why do they include non-sugar soda with zero calories? So why do you why do you include like diet coke because that's not contributing to obesity? Interesting point, which tells you maybe this isn't about obesity because again, yes, and they do. Diet coke, coke zero, um, diet Mountain Dew doesn't matter if it's pre-sweetened. If it is pre-sweetened, either with sugar or with a sugar substitute, it gets included. And of course, you know, like drinking Diet Coke 
I don't want to get too deep in the rabbit hole, but that's not going to increase your chances for obesity. It might cause other problems as well. But right, like I say, this it's now this is the latest war. It is the war on again consumers. First, it was tobacco. I get that, but now now it's diet soda. Where do and I hate this slippery slope argument, but where do you draw the line? Uh, is it going to be milk? Is it going to be ice cream? Is it going to be bakery products? Is it going to be red meat? Where do we end up drawing the line? Well, Cook County, they're drawing the line in soda. So if you're down in Chicago anytime soon, be prepared for sticker shock. It's 1119. This is Jeff Wagner. It's 1122, Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. Um, every once in a while, you, you surprise me. And I, I thought that was an interesting conversation. And I would say um, on our texts and the emails I'm getting and the calls, um, I, I, it was about 50-50, people supporting this and people opposing it. I guess I was thinking going into this topic that almost everybody would think imposing this type of massive tax increase on consumers who buy soda, I was thinking most everybody would think it was a bad idea, but um, actually it kind of split, at least among the people reaching out to me. How does a company's mission affect the way in which they attract and keep top talent? Rich Musen, the CEO of Badger Meter and a great guy, gives his philosophy on this when he joins the folks at New Newwalkie in the latest edition of the Intersection of People and Place podcast. It's up now at WTMJ.com and on the WTMJ mobile app. When you're there, uh, we podcast this show, so be sure to check that out um, as well. So, very, very good. Um, always fun. All right. This is as long as we are going, as long as we are taking paths, and BD, who is producing the show today, as long as we are taking paths where angels fear to tread, let us wade down this one more time. The, okay, school, I hate to say this, but today is August 1st. And, you know, parochial schools are be going to be going back into session in a couple weeks. Um, 30, 31 days from now, pretty much all public schools are going to be back in session as well. And this is the time of year where there's always an ongoing debate about one thing, and that is that is vaccinations. And it's something that I will tell you honestly, I am very, very sensitive about. There was a story, a national story, talking about how if you are what I'm going to call an anti-vaccine parent. It is becoming more and more difficult to be that because more and more states are adopting laws which say if you want to send your kids to school, the kids have to be vaccinated. Now, in general, there's three kinds of of objections that, that you have. First of all, it's the health objection, the, the idea that if, you know, you're, if by giving this vaccine, if it's going to put your child at risk, every state allows, if you've got medical evidence indicating that taking the vaccine would hurt the child, okay, you're out. Um, a number of states have religious objections. If you certify that it is against your religion to, you know, have your child vaccinated, then, then you can avoid it. And then there are a number of other states, Wisconsin being one of them, that allows 
well, allows you to opt out um, if if you have a philosophical objection to this. For example, uh, Wisconsin law, the immunization requirement is waived if the student, if an adult or the student's parent, guardian or legal custodian submits a written statement to the school um, objecting to the immunization for reasons of health, religion or personal conviction. In other words, I watched Jenny McCarthy on TV and I, I don't, you know, she said that she thought these, uh, that, that that's one of the reasons her child ended up with sim- signs of autism was he got vaccinated. So it can be personal conviction, which essentially is a, a loophole, which is large enough to drive a, a truck through. There are many people who believe that th- these laws that allow people to opt out simply because they don't want to do it have led to increasing numbers of kids going to school and not being vaccinated. So in response, what a number of states have done, not Wisconsin yet, is that they have made it more difficult for parents of school-aged children to opt out. Um, Since 2011, nine states have either limited exemptions or added new requirements. California passed a law essentially wiping out any non-medical exemption. So California said, okay, religious exemptions don't matter. Uh, personal conviction um, efforts don't matter. You, you, Everybody's got to be vaccinated unless there is a health reason. Now, I personally think that goes too far. At the same time, I don't think these laws that allow parents to opt out of having their kids vaccinated simply because they don't feel like it I don't think that's right either. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I, I understand we're going where angels fear to tread here, but the whole idea of vaccinations is is for a herd mentality. In other words, you, you have a large group of people who are vaccinated against these childhood diseases, measles, mumps, you know, polio, whatever. And as a result, you, you kill the disease. We have eradicated, through vaccines, we have eradicated childhood diseases which devastated this country generations ago. Unfortunately, some of these diseases are coming back because there are parents who are deciding to opt out of these vaccinations. And candidly, I have a problem with that. All right, 414-799-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should you be able to opt out of having your kid vaccinated, not because of a health reason, not because of a religious reason, but simply because you don't like vaccines and don't feel like having it done? 414-799-1620 is the number. We're back to discuss. It's 1128. This is Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. It's 11.36, Jeff Becker, 6.20 WTMJ, which is a bigger problem when it comes to hiring, lack of job skills, or the inability of an applicant to pass a simple drug test? You might be surprised at the answer. Scafidi and Bilstead, get your reaction today at 2.35. You know, that's an interesting point. Marijuana stays in your system for about 30 days. Um, so for people who decide, hey, I'm going to go to Colorado, I'm going to have that vacation, and I'm going to smoke some pot because it's legal there. And you come back to Wisconsin and you say, hey, that job that I've always wanted is opened up, but they have like a pre 
job drug screening thing, well, you better check it out because even if you've been in a state where you've been legally smoking pot, might be legal to do that in that state, but it doesn't mean you're going to pass that drug test when you come back. 414-799-1620. All right. Um, we're talking about vaccines. The What were common childhood diseases a couple generations ago, including diseases that were depending on – look, I, I understand. For a lot of people, you get measles, you get mumps. You're uncomfortable for a little while, and and then you go on. But for some people, those were life-threatening or life-altering situations. For things like polio and that, I mean, those diseases, which, of course, is a major life-altering thing, those diseases had essentially been eradicated. They are starting to make a comeback because more and more people are making the decision not to vaccinate their kids. And, And here's why. This could matter. Maybe you make the decision, hey, why do I care if my kids get the measles? All right, I, I'm I'm willing to they'll get the measles. I had the measles. My grandfather had the measles. My father had the measles. It's no big problem. All right, your kid gets the measles. All right, and maybe even if it's just not a problem for your kid, what about what about the kids who, for example, in first grade or in kindergarten, who really health-wise – you know, can't get those vaccines. So they're, they're in, they've got a, whatever the issue is. So your kid gets the measles, doesn't know it for a day or two, infects the other kid, and then causes the significant health issue. I mean, that's, that's why this comes into play. 414-799-1620. Should we tighten up the ability of parents to opt out? Right now in Wisconsin, health objections, obviously, religious objections, or I just don't feel like having it done. Many states don't allow that personal conviction. I don't feel like having it done exemption. Jason in Mequon. Jason, you're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. Uh, Good morning, Jeff. Uh, My wife is a private school teacher, and I think it is just asinine, with the exception of the medical reason, I'll give you that one, Right. That every kid should not be vaccinated because you have a whole bunch of kids in the same area. See, that's another privilege of living in an advanced country like we do. You mm-hmm. have the technology and the medicine to get rid of all these deadly diseases that we once had. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just, like I said, asinine if a parent opts out and wants to infect all the other kids. Right, because for some kids, it, it might, again, just be, okay, you're exposed to the measles, you're sick for a little bit, and then you're fine. But for other kids, if they've got compromised immune systems or whatever, getting exposed to some kid that has the measles could end up being, it could end up being a fatal thing. And I guess my, my, my issue is for, for what, for what reason? I mean, I understand that there's there's issues with do you give too many vaccines at once? You know, do we combine too much and 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 should they space them out over a longer period of time? But this argument that that we shouldn't vaccinate, I just have trouble with that. I just do. Well, yeah, I mean, you got to keep the public wealth or public safety in your you know front of your mind, and you know, not vaccinating your kid is not thinking about that. I mean, it's just. Right. I mean, again, now, thanks for your call. I mean, yeah, I guess that's and I I have no trouble with the health objection. I I don't. And I have no trouble with a legitimate religious objection. But this notion that and, and one of I mean, for example, I mean, I know. 
there, there's been kind of this this hysteria about whether these vaccinations. And by the way, I also I do understand. Like I was saying a minute ago, there there is an issue. Do you give them? Do you give too many too soon? Do you need to space them out more? And I I I really don't have a position on that, but I appreciate it. But there's there's all this junk science that's out there that suggests, including some completely now debunked report that used to allege that there was some link between some of these vaccines and autism, and, and it's just been completely and totally debunked, but people hear the headlines, and so they make these decisions. Okay, let's talk to Peter in Pewaukee. Peter, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hi, Jeff. How are you? Very well, thank you, sir. Okay, should we vaccinate? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm uh, 70 years old. I contracted polio oh. in 1948, oh. and I wish I would have had the vaccination, or it would have been available at that time, you know, so I could have it before right. I contracted polio, because the last 20 years of my life haven't been such of a, a, a party, you know? Yeah, and, it, and, it, and that's a disease, you know, Peter, that... Was, has essentially been eradicated, and yet polio is even making a bit of a comeback, not as much as some of these others are, but because people are making decisions not to get not to get vaccinated and and if if you could have if you could save people from going through you know what you're going through with my my goodness wouldn't people wouldn't people do that oh ab- absolutely ab- and they they should because you're sentencing your child if they contract polio uh, yeah. A life of really of suffering. Let's right. put it that way. Yeah, thank, thanks for the call. I appreciate it. And, 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 and suffering unnecessarily because we, we've eradicated, we have eradicated the diseases. Let's talk to, um, let's see, Tricia in Wauwatosa. Tricia, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Good morning. I am an older person also, and I feel that those who are now making decisions about vaccinations have never lived through the fear and what it does to people. They've never seen this sickness. They didn't have measles when they were young. They didn't have the, the polio, true paralyzed communities because somebody had polio. They never saw that. So it's very easy, I think, to say, well, I'm not going to have my child vaccinated because they haven't lived through the terror of, of some of these illnesses. Yeah, uh, or or uh, let, let, if if we don't want to be as extreme as polio, still uh, the arg- arg- argument. Okay, so who cares about measles? You know, most people, it's a common childhood thing. You're you're fine. You get over it. Then you've got the immunity. Well, what about what about the kids for whom they, they don't, or that you have that incredible adverse reaction? There's a disease that we have eliminated, and now it is coming back. Exactly, and when it comes back, they always come back stronger and harder to treat. Well, even rubella. If a woman is pregnant, standing next to a child with rubella, the chances of her, I believe, having a, a miscarriage or damage to the baby are significantly higher. Yeah, no, there's there, there's no question about it. I mean, th- thanks for calling here. I, here, okay, let me see. Let me uh, switch over here. Our text line has exploded on this one as well. Um, and I and and see, part of it is I admit I wrestle with the idea of you know th- the government. What is the government's role in mandating, you know, individual health care decisions? You know, gee, Jeff, do you think that the government should tell people that they have to do this or have to do that? And in, in general, my, my answer to that question is no. But when it comes to these vaccines, since you're sending your kids off to public school, you're not just affecting your children. You're affecting, you know, other people's children as well. Okay, here's a text. I'm a special education teacher. Jenny McCarthy did us a huge disservice. Vaccines do not cause autism. 
but uh, unvaccinated children at school are a huge problem for other students and and the staff. Um, yeah, that's an issue. 414-799-1620. Let's talk to uh, Beth in Neosho. Beth, good morning. You're on 620 WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Beth. Hi. Um, vaccines should not be mandatory at all because there are certain kids that react to them. Mm-hmm. And if they are mandatory, these kids are going to be ending up dying. Well, I mean, there's always an exception for health. If the, if the doctor if the doctor is willing to certify that a child has a, a risk, I mean, I don't think anybody doctors would argue. Do not, doctors don't even recognize a vaccine reaction when it occurs. Okay, so your point would be that... They are too scared to say, oh, this child shouldn't be vaccinated because there's way too many people that are shouting false science, but it's really not false science. These are parents that were all pro-vaxxers before, and now they're getting their kids vaccinated. Their kids are reacting to these. There's a reason there's anti-vaccine people. There's a reason, and it, it has to do with the parents realizing these. Have you, I mean, my, I held my kid with an anaphylactic reaction to her vaccines. I'm, I'm not going to do that again. Mm-hmm. That has that has put me at my limit. I will not do that again. I know there is something wrong with these vaccines. If they can create more safer vaccines, maybe, maybe then. But so, these have all these ingredients in them that are way too much. They wanted to me to vaccinate my preemie. There is no way I'm going to vaccinate my preemie knowing my full-term child reacted anaphylactically so to that vaccine. So you would be willing to risk your child contracting, say, polio instead of having your child okay, vaccinated? Okay, now the thing with polio is if, you have a, if you're a healthy person, um, there is no polio does not even show any symptoms. Only like 3% of polio people actually show polio symptoms. Okay. I'm, I'm, I, guess I'm, I guess I'm not following, though. So why would... Why would you, given how given how debilitating that could be, if you could prevent a child from having polio, why why wouldn't you have them vaccinated? Why wouldn't we allow the immune system that God gave us to work? Well, why are we depending on these vaccines? Is my question, because in reality. You're you're not going to get polio. You're not going to get your. It doesn't happen. When was the last polio case in the United States? Well, there, there actually there ha, I mean, thanks. Actually, there has been a resurgence. They're, they're starting to see this this coming this coming back. I mean, how far? With all due respect, how far do you carry this? I mean, there, there's also. There's all sorts of medical truth. You say, you know, why don't we allow the immune system to, to deal with this? Well, does that mean that? I, I don't know. Anytime you get ill, does that mean that, hey, you, you've contracted something that we could penicillin? Let's assume you're not allergic to penicillin. All right. You, you've contracted something. Um, we can give you a shot of penicillin and you're going to be better. Um, uh, we'll, we'll get rid of that. So we're, we're not going to give you the shot of penicillin. We're just going to let the immune system go. I mean, I guess I, I just... You, you have medical science that has made these advances. And, and I understand that there's always the potential that a child is going to have an adverse reaction that the doctor is not going to catch. I, I get it. And, and that's always that that's that's a risk. But at the same time, you balance that out about against the fact that 
by by not having the child vaccinated, you expose them to childhood diseases that we pretty much eradicated, and you expose other people to diseases that all right might in fact be be life threatening. All right, let me take a quick break. It's eleven forty nine. Jeff Wagner, six twenty WTMJ. Jeff Wagner, 620 WTMJ. All right. Um, here's the story. I've been pointing this out. Um, a week ago Saturday, you had the six-year-old boy who was shot um, as he was running up to his grand- his grandmother's porch. He was waiting to go fishing, I think, with his stepfather. Um, his name was Justin Evans. Um, the investigation has been ongoing, and I, I think it's been particularly aggravating in the world where it takes a village that you had people who immediately after that shooting knew who did it and um, either did not come forward or didn't enough of them didn't come forward to provide evidence to the police and the district attorney's office that they could issue charges. Uh, the breaking news report is that a 23-year-old man um, was arrested in Milwaukee and a 32-year-old man was arrested in Chicago um, They're both being described as persons of interest. So we don't know what prompted the shooting. We don't know what the background is going to be. We don't know whether this was just, I, again, we don't know what happened here. But it's a horrible, horrible situation. Um, I expect that there will probably be charges coming out in the very near future. And be interesting to see what the criminal records of these two are. But uh, 10, 11 days later, um, at least two people now appear on the verge of being charged in connection with the death of this uh, child. And that to get these people off the streets is a very good thing.